All right, take your Bibles if you would, and let's go to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to attempt something near before accomplished. Now, on occasion, we're going to try to go through a whole chapter tonight, all 11 verses. And uh, we may have to come back uh, in the future and touch on some of these things again. But let's just read through the chapter. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind, and the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast was like a calf, and the third beast had to face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, as we read these 11 verses, it is absolutely amazing what people don't find here. I I looked through several commentaries just to see if I could find one that would say the rapture of the church in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, as we read those verses, how many of you thought about the rapture of the church? The voice, as it were, trumpet, the door opened in heaven, come up hither. Uh, The symbolism is is more than symbolism. It is a complete match with what the Bible teaches. And then I realized as I was reading through the commentaries that most commentators do not believe in the preeminent any moment return of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. They've got all kinds of strange ideas when it comes to the kingdom. And boy, when they get to this four and twenty elders with, with crowns and white robes, they just go everywhere but where they ought to go. As we look through the book of Revelation, 
as we've read the letters to the churches twice, the saints are dressed in white raiment. Amen? Chapter 1, it says, Thou hast made us kings and priests. Now, kings normally do what? Wear crowns now, don't they? And we've... Uh, often heard the picture of casting the crowns at his feet. Uh, That's where this comes from. And uh, we have, what we have here is a look into heaven. Now, I've heard all kinds of things of what heaven is going to be like. If you want to know what heaven's going to be like, this is what heaven is. Is going to be like. This is why God gives us a picture here. And really, before we dig in too deep, I just want us to go back to chapter 1 and verse 20, 19, I'm sorry, 1 verse 19. This is the outline of the entire book of Revelation. Write the things which thou hast seen, that's chapter 1, and the things which are, the letters to the churches, chapters 2 and 3, and the things which shall be hereafter, that starts in chapter 4 and goes all the way through Revelation chapter 22. The, uh, someone says, well, that outline isn't evenly balanced. Well, God had a whole lot more to show us than what John could see in just that moment of turning around and the things that are In those two chapters, God summarizes what's going on in each and every church that has existed from that day until this. We need no further instruction, but he's going to reveal to us things that are going to happen. And so as we start in chapter 4, we'll also notice that we're not going to hear about the church again until we get to chapter 19 when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period, to set up his kingdom. And so as John is hearing this, he looks and he sees a door opening in heaven. Now, it's interesting that Jesus told the church in Philadelphia, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can close it. He said, I've given you a door, and we understand that that door that Jesus opened for that church was the fact that it would exist and that it would serve Jesus Christ, not by that church's power, but by the power of Jesus Christ himself. Given to that church, he said, thou hast a little strength. Well, where was their strength coming from? It was coming from the Lord. Amen. Now we see a door that is opened In heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. Now, I want you to just take a quick moment, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is one an illustration, I hope, for you of one of the things that we... I constantly, uh, if I harp on anything, it's let the Bible teach you what the Bible says. 
Now let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with those words. Do you see the parallelism in here? Do you see the, the continuing symbols the voice, as it were, a trumpet, the saints rising, being called up off of the earth. This is what we understand to be talking about the same thing. And if we were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in fact, let's just do that for a moment. And uh, if we keep doing this, we won't get through the whole chapter tonight, but we're going to try here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so we go on down through here, and again, we have the picture, the illustration here, this is the first part of the second coming. And again, uh, we're not going to get into this very deep tonight just to mention it. People talk about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a time period. You often hear people saying, uh, well, the Bible says the day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Well, that's exactly correct. And the day of the Lord is going to last just a little over a thousand years. In fact, as far as we can tell, according to the scripture, it's going to be 1,000 years for the millennial reign, seven years for the tribulation period, and then there's two or three, two different periods of days that are listed in the book of Daniel. And we add all that together and we get just a little over 1,007 years it begins with the rapture of the church and the judgment of the Christians, and it will end with the great white throne and the judgment of the unsaved. In that day, if we allow the Bible terminology, we'll have the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of the unjust. So why would not Jesus refer to both events in one sentence as he does in the book of Matthew? Because it's all happening in the same day as far as he is concerned. And we'll, we'll dig into that a little deeper uh, as we go through the book of Revelation and get through the time period here. But the church is finished. We don't hear any more about the church until we have Jesus returning at the end of the tribulation period. Here we have an understanding a door is open. John is called thither. He says, and immediately I was in the spirit. Oh, I love what the commentators do with that. 
If you have a new version of the Bible, it says, and immediately I was in a trance. Now, that's what mediums do when they talk to the devil. That's not what John did. John said, I was in the Spirit. John said, I was no longer just a human being as I am. And, of course, if we go back to the book of Exodus, what did God tell Moses? He said, no flesh. He said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. He told Moses, you cannot look upon my face because you are a sinful human being. John was in the Spirit. He got to taste what you and I will experience for all eternity. We will not be as we are now. I am looking forward. It's amazing. The older I get, the more I look forward to that new body. Uh, it, doesn't, it won't make noise when I go up and down stairs. Amen? Uh, it, it won't have all those pains and shortcomings. And it won't get fat when I eat too much. Amen? I mean, I'm looking forward to those things. It's a glorified body. And by the way, there won't be a stomach inside that wants to eat too much. Amen? Uh, we'll have all those wonderful things taken care of. And John got to experience that just a little bit. And he was transported. And we see the scene being set. Um, I've never been to a Broadway production and have no intention of ever going, honestly. Uh, but when they... Just look at the terminology here. He said, I immediately I was in the Spirit. He's now in heaven as a glorified being. And he's watching them. It says, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. So we have the people moving the items on to center stage and they bring out a throne and they set it down. And as they set that throne, someone comes and sits in the throne. And John begins to describe what he sees. Now, I want to challenge you with something. How many of you have to use some type of sight aid to see clearly? Okay. How many of you have ever used a set of binoculars or telescopic sights if you're going hunting or target practice or any of that stuff? I mean, all of those things enhance our ability to see. In fact, if we have one sensory perception that God has given us that is more easily deceived than any other, would it not be our sight? How many of you have ever seen the guy doing card tricks? I mean, that card looks like it disappears. I remember one time we were taking a group down. We were at 20, the, the seaport there at 23rd Street, and some illusionist was in there, and he had these great big playing cards and he was making them appear and disappear and do all kinds of weird little tricks with them. And because of the crowd, I was way around the side, almost 
looking up and you could see all kinds of weird things. I had no idea what he was doing. But there, there was more than just a sleight of hand going on behind those cards. Uh, and John is left with his eyesight to describe heaven. And just another point to, to put in your hat and to think about. Don't allow all of the uh, commentators, maybe we'll just use that phrase, to interject into the Word of God. I remember reading in one, the locusts that come out of the pit, those are cobra attack helicopters. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, sure. They don't have any fire in their tails and they don't bite people. They shoot at them. Uh, this is just kind of reading into the Bible things that we think are going to be there. Be careful. But we do have to understand that John, as a man, is just going to describe the things that he can see. It's going to be a whole lot better when we get there in person. But he is watching the throne be brought in, and as the throne was set... In the center, one came in and sat on the throne. And here's how John describes him. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now, sardine stone has nothing to do with the little fishies in the can. Of course, everybody knew that, right? Esther didn't. Uh, so we want to make sure. Sardine was a pinkish flesh-toned stone almost to a deep red. The jasper stone came in a variety of colors, the most uh, prevalent of which was a yellow and green, sometimes blue and even uh, reddish. Uh, it just depended on which one. And so uh, what we're seeing here would be best described He's talking about these precious stones. How many of you have ever been to a museum and saw the, the precious stones that they have in the museum? I remember one time, I think it was the Smithsonian. It's a star of Ethiopia. It's an opal. It's about this big around. I mean, the thing must weigh 50 pounds. It's huge. And um, what they do with all of those precious stones is they shine lights on them so that you can see down into the stone. And of course, if we have any gemologist here today, you know that the value of the, the, the gem depends upon its clarity and how it reflects the light. In fact, if you have a good stone cutter, he can take a cheap diamond and make it sparkle like a very fancy one and then charge you a big price for something that's not worth it. Uh, so you have to be very careful about that. But So what we're talking about here is light passing through different color bands. That's what it looks like to him. It looks like a glowing reddish uh, uh, flesh tone all mixed in. And then it says, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now, when you think of an emerald, let's just get the basic colors here. What's the color you think of when you think of an emerald? Green. 
how can you have a green rainbow? Because a rainbow is different colors now, isn't it? And it says here that this rainbow went round about the throne. And as I was reading, trying to figure out round about the throne, it kept saying, like a halo. Well, how could you see the different colors in a horizontal band of light? Rainbows don't go like that. Rainbows go like this now, don't they? How many of you have ever, I remember when Joy and I went to uh, Montana, we were driving up and a rainstorm came in and driving through those little mountain roads up into Kalispell and thought, boy, this is going to be a rough drive. And all of a sudden, we had about 30 miles we drove alongside a lake. And there was the rainbow. It was like 30 miles across. I mean, we could see it for an hour. It was just, not an hour, but... I'm not going to tell you how long it took me to drive 30 miles, but uh, uh, it was uh, it was quite a little while you saw this rainbow, and finally we got right before we took a turn away from the lake and it disappeared. I mean, you could see that thing going right down in the water. And it almost looked like, I'll just tell you what it looked like to me, is if that water had been perfectly still and clear, if somehow I could have gone under the water, it looked like that rainbow was a circle that went all the way around and came out the other side. I mean, that's what it looked like. Uh, I'm wondering if the real rainbow isn't all the way around. Because what was the throne sat upon? A sea of glass, clear like crystal. And that rainbow went around the throne. And I don't know about you, but when I look at a rainbow, my favorite color is the green. Always has been. I just like green things. It's life. But you get that green against the dark blue-purple sky of a storm clouds blowing over. And let me tell you something. you got something beautiful. In fact, the rainbow we saw, the smallest band was the green one. Because it's, it's the hardest, it's one of the hardest colors to see. And so as we look at this here, we have these colors in the center. Then we have a rainbow that goes around the throne in sight un, like unto an emerald. How many of you have ever seen a real emerald in like a museum or one of those... I'm not talking about the little tiny ones, but an emerald is one of the clearest and brightest stones that there is for us to look at. And so there had to be some a lot of green in this rainbow for him to say it looked like an emerald, like unto an emerald, but I think also what he was referring to is the jasper stone and the sardine stone though they were translucent and, and color came through them and when there was light placed behind them, they would kind of give off a glow. An emerald doesn't do that. If you shine light through an emerald, I mean, it, it actually makes the light brighter, just like you shine it through a diamond. You, if it's cut right in the prisms, you get little rainbows all over the place. And it actually magnifies. And, and apparently, I mean, the best that we can describe and understand, 
That's what he's talking about. And as he looks upon this, the next thing he sees in a circle around the uh, throne and this rainbow and these glowing colors that are in there, he sees 20 and 4, 4 and 20 seats. And upon the seats, I saw 4 and 20 elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their head heads, crowns of gold. Now, I I try to be as uncomplicated in in understanding the Bible. When I see the number 24 here in the book of Revelation, what do I think of? What do you think of? I think of 12 tribes of Israel, and I think of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. In fact, when we see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, we're going to see that 12 foundations we're going to, with the names of the apostles and we're going to see the 12 gates with the names of the tribes of Israel. And so what we have here is we have the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. Now, You say, where do you get off just saying that so dogmatically? Well, what did Jesus say? He said, I'm going to have one fold and one sheep. The mystery that Paul said in the book of Ephesians was that the Gentiles and the Jews would be sharing the same body in the church. What did Caiaphas, the high priest who was humanly responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, say, that he might gather together in one all the children of God scattered abroad. You see, that's how we check our guess, is that it agrees with other scriptures and it doesn't violate a scripture. But I'll tell you what, you pick up a book on dispensationalism, you have to be careful with some of those things, They'll tell you that there's an absolute separation between the church and Israel and they never touch each other. And Well, God did not promise the land of Israel to the church, nor did he promise the body of Christ to Israel. But we don't have God the Father married to Old Testament Israel And Jesus Christ married to the New Testament church. And the Holy Spirit married to uh, the uh, tribulation saints. Because we can't think of anybody else to put in there. Uh, People actually put stuff like that in commentaries. We have one God. One bride. That's what we find in the scripture. And we have these 24 elders seated in a complete circle around the throne. And I'm just going to tell you what I believe is that that is a representation of all saints. That in a few moments, the next thing our attention is going to be called to is the sea on which the throne is set. And Well, not the next thing. Let's get the next thing. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits 
of God. Now, again, we're just going to take the seven spirits of God and do with it exactly what we did in Revelation chapter 1, where it's talked about the seven eyes being the seven spirits of God. We're talking about the fullness or the completeness of the presence of God, the omnipresence of God being represented here. And we have thunderings, lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Does anybody remember in our recent Sunday school lessons where there was thunderings and lightnings and voices and a voice as if it were a trumpet sounding louder and louder until Moses spoke with a voice and God said, come up here and I'll give you the Ten Commandments. See, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. There is no different gods. There is no different means of salvation There is one God, there is one means of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. And we get a picture of it right here as we see the God that sits upon the throne described by John as Moses in the Pentateuch described God as he settled on Mount Sinai. Now I want you to get a hold of something here. When we think of a throne and one sat upon it, We think of a big chair. Um, Mount Sinai. The whole mountain was a big chair. I I want you to understand that the the, um, dimensions of this thing need to be stretched in your mind to fit what's in the scripture. Now, by definition, what is a C? S-E-A? Uh, we don't go down to Flushing Meadows and call that the reflecting sea. Because you can see right across it. It's not a sea. It's a little pond. Uh, when we talk about the sea, when we understand the sea, we're talking about an expanse. Even the Sea of Galilee, as, as was described by Brother Webster, who happened to have a chance to be there and visit You can still, you know, seven miles, you can still get out there. How many of you have ever rowed a canoe five miles? I mean, that will wear you out. It'll take the better part of a day, even if the water's calm to go five miles. I mean, we're talking about a huge area here. This throne was not just some little thing. It was far beyond any dimension you and I can imagine. And the reason why we're go- I, I am saying that is because in a few moments we're going to start describing these beasts that were described in other parts of the Bible. And, and they were described as something humongous in stature. And yet, as John is looking, he's seeing these 24 elders. He's seeing this sea. He is, he is seeing these four beasts and he can still see him that sits on the throne with all of these other things all around him. Am I making any sense tonight? You, you got to... You say, well, why are we just going through these details? Because they're here, that's why. Because God wants to teach us something here. And before the throne, there was this, verse 6, a sea of glass like unto crystal. 
I heard a preacher preach a whole sermon that that was a sea of ice. The temperature in heaven was absolute zero, and it's all frozen water. Uh, Interesting surmisal, but it says glass. You know what glass is? How many of you think glass is a solid? Glass is not a solid. It is a super suspended liquid. That's how it's chemically designated. And so we have a sea of some substance. He says it's glass. It's clear as crystal. Maybe it's made out of ice. I don't know. But I like the Bible description here. How many of you have seen the difference between a cheap little 99-cent glass and a piece of crystal? You ever set them on the table beside each other? It's an embarrassing thing now, isn't it? You just got to get rid of the glass. I mean, if the crystal is on the table, they look exactly the same when one's over here and the other's over there, but you put them next to each other, and even a very fine piece of glassware looks dull and listless when you put it to a next to a piece of crystal. That crystal kind of sparkles. Now, remember that rainbow goes all the way around. I wonder if it went down through the sea of glass and came up on the other side. That's what my imagination says. Uh, if there was some way to paint the pictures that I got up here, it would probably scare you all to death. But uh, we are talking about something beyond our imagination. And John is just giving us a scripture. My wife talked about a group of men many years ago that tried to make a movie about heaven. Uh, they made a movie about hell that was actually fairly uh, 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 good at scaring people into wanting to get saved. I'll tell you that much. I remember watching it as a little, uh, uh, as a young teenager, and I mean, it scared the living daylights out of me. But they tried to make a movie about heaven, and it just kind of fell flat because how do you put this stuff on film? How do you draw a picture of this? God didn't intend us to do that. He wants us to think about it. He wants us to meditate. Now, if you got to see, I mean, I like to think about something that's miles away. As you drive past the city, that New York skyline looks like little tinker toys coming up from the New Jersey turnpike until you get close. And then it's just like, whoa! How far away you're looking at this throne. And it's got the rainbow that goes around and the glowing colors of yellow and green and red. And, and um, we've got the 24 elders surrounding the throne and they just look like little ants. We've got these great seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. And then we have these four beasts. You see, now why is the word beast used? Well, the word beast is used for a reason. 
It's used because it's talking about a being that is not human. I was talking with my mother uh, just the other day, and she was saying something. I said, yeah, talk to my kids. I'm the meanest dad in the whole world. And she starts laughing. And I said, why does everybody laugh when I say that? And says, because we know it's not true. <laughs> and uh, we look at these things, and it's talking about something that has great power and, and just presence would be the word. The first one's like a lion. How many of you have ever been up close to the lion cage? And that big old lion just swings its head around and looks at you. Now, if that doesn't make your blood run cold, I don't know what would. Somebody says, I fear nothing. Yeah, there's probably a whole lot of other things you don't understand too, right? Uh, imagine. Now, if we, we're not going to take time in the next five minutes to try to get all of this here. But one is like a lion. The second is like a calf. The third beast has the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now, if we read in the book, if it took time to read through the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah as it describes these, each one of these beasts had four complete faces. They were just turned different ways. That's the way Ezekiel describes them. They have six wings full of eyes. Now, that'd be enough to... Uh, Hollywood doesn't dream up anything near what the Bible already has. These beasts, number one, they're huge. Read Ezekiel chapter 1. They're incredible. They, they travel the entire circumference of the earth in a flash of lightning. They only have one job, to cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Now, I love that old hymn. But every time I think about singing that hymn, it just bothers me when I compare these four beasts going, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The temple posts shook with the vibrance of their voice. There's no way we can sing that song like what's going on here. If you saw one of these beasts, what you would do is you would just faint. Boom. Fall down. It would scare you to death. They are the worship leaders in heaven. And here's the whole key. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks. Now, we, I could preach the whole night on just those three words. This is what the beasts do. They give glory that means lifting up, praising his attributes, honor, and praise, and thanks. I'm sorry. Glory, honor, and thanks. Normally, you thank a person or you thank someone for doing something for you. Amen? What has God done for you? 
Number one, he saved you. Amen. Don't ever get over your salvation or you're going to be unprepared for heaven. We're going to remember the things. They're going to give glory and honor and thanks. And it says, And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, we can read this several times in several different ways, but it says one of the things that is going to be repeated throughout the book of Revelation is the worthiness of God. Oftentimes, we give awards and acclamation to people who really are not worthy of them. Uh, I remember several Nobel Peace recipients Someone, they gave Yasser Arafat, a terrorist, a Nobel Peace Prize. How many remember that? I remember just getting sick. They gave some other guy one who had only been in office a couple of weeks. I, I don't, his name kind of just purposefully slips my mind right now. But the idea of unworthiness to receive an honor. You're going to see that God is judged worthy of all of the praise and all of the worship. And one of our greatest problems as human beings is we do not esteem God worthy of the praise that he gets. We think, man, I did a pretty good job. Whoa, wait a minute. He is worthy. That's, that's what it's all about. This one verse gives us the entire theme of Scripture. It says, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You know, God is the God of all power, but does He exercise it at this moment? You better be glad He doesn't or we'd all be toast. Amen? Isn't that true? But he's going to exercise that power in these next few chapters of the book of Revelation. And all kinds of horrible things are going to happen as God's judgment is going to be consummated on mankind. It says, For thou hast created all things. Everything that is, is, is because God made it. Somebody said, why do we call a lion a lion? One of my kids asked me one day. I said, because God said so. Amen. That's an easy answer. I remember talking about somebody about evolution one time. He said, oh, you, you simpletons, all you do is put God in the equation and everything works out. I said, it works pretty nice, doesn't it? I said, what do you do? How do you get your equation to work out? How in the world did that monkey learn to put a suit on? And go to town. Tell me that. Not even monkeys will smoke cigarettes unless somebody makes them. I mean, it's crazy stuff that goes on today. For thou hast created all things. 
and for thy pleasure they are. Now, if we put a period right there, you would understand why God has given you life. It's for his pleasure. You know what God's pleasure is? That every human being would be saved. Is God going to get his pleasure? Wide is the gate and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction, and many be that go in thereat. Was that why man was created so God could send them all to hell and laugh and glee over that? That's not the God of the Bible. That's a God of man's imagination. If you would just grab a hold of what is in God's word, you would have God's pleasure in your life. I don't need... I can't even remember all the names now. Frederick Price. I think he's still on the airwave somewhere. I don't need brand new Lincoln Continental and money in the bank to have pleasure. What I need is to give praise and honor and power to God. How do I give God power? Spend all night on this, couldn't we? I give him power when I allow his power to control me. Do you get that? If you don't get anything else tonight, get a hold of that one. That's how I give God power. Does he need power to control me? No. But he wants me to come to him and willingly submit myself to him and allow his power to control me and make decisions in my life. And when I let God's power make the decisions, guess who is pleased? God is, because I'm doing what he wants me to do. By the way, that's how I give him glory. And that's how I give him honor. You see... I'm here for God's pleasure. That's my purpose. And that's the reason why mankind exists. And when mankind gives God glory, when mankind allows God's power to control him and them, it's an amazing thing. You see... In heaven, we won't do one thing that's not by his power. Not one. In heaven, we will not think one thought. We will not make one move. We will not do one deed without knowing and having the power of God to accomplish that task. And you're going to be more full of joy and satisfaction than you have ever thought or could comprehend here on earth. Just a little look. They sang a song in high school choir. It said, just a peephole into heaven. That's what Revelation chapter 4 and 5 are about. Just a little look through the keyhole. Imagine, if we understand this passage correctly, There'll be the throne and he that sits upon it. These four mighty beasts around the throne. And yet we can still see he that sits upon the throne. 
And then around him, the multitude of saints. And when those four beasts cry out with a voice that just literally shakes the entire universe. In fact, if you want to think about things that are real interesting, that may be one reason God has to get a new universe at the end of the book of Revelation because if they were to utter their voices, they could shake the one that now is to pieces and we'd all be in trouble now, wouldn't we? Just something to meditate on the greatness and power of God. And then all of us as saints will cast our crowns at his feet upon the throne of glass. And can you imagine the gold reflecting and catching the glitterings of the jasper and the sardine stone and maybe just interrupting that rainbow for a moment and sending shatters, uh, uh, showers of light all throughout the universe. There won't be a fireworks display that comes close. It'll make Macy's look like a... And it's going to happen over and over and over again. Read the book of Ephesians. It says we're trophies of His grace. That in the ages to come, He's going to use individual lives to show His goodness and His graciousness and His power and His glory. And when he's done with one of those soundings of what he did in a life, four beasts, holy, 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 the multitude of saints from all ages are going to fall down at, on their faces and cast their crowns at his feet. And then it's going to start all over again. So if you're some stodgy old, I can't hardly say amen and all of that, you're going to have to learn some things when you get to heaven. Amen. That was pitiful. I know I'm not loud like Brother Webster, but uh, I am who I am, and I'll just be that. But thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Could we let God's pleasure work through us? You'll be happier than you ever could be any other way. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, certainly as we discuss this subject, as we, with our human eyes, strain to see what John saw and wrote down, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to touch our hearts and build that joy and excitement and anticipation for the part we will play in that day as described here. And Lord, that you would convict us, that we would want to serve you your way, that we may be prepared to praise you in that day. I ask you to work in our individual hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish.